Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, we are, it is what, the 30th of August already, and uh, we are coming to you from, I'm making it sound like we have a studio. I know, where, what are we doing here? <laughs> this week we have one of our favorite guests, Vincent Cunningham, our colleague at The New Yorker. We're going to be talking about... Uh, Vincent, I like how you just like raised your hands there. As I just waved as if they could see. I meant to say, <laughs> hey, I'm so glad to be here, is what I meant. All right. Well, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Spe- I like- Speaking of visual cues, the readers can't see that Jay is wearing this very cool sort of like skaterish cap and a tie-dye t-shirt. I have never seen a more I moved to Berkeley guy in my life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was telling Tammy beforehand that I've decided to go a new way with my look, which is that... Um... <laughs> Wait, please tell me everything about it. Yeah, I know. Uh, so <laughs> I like, didn't realize it was uh, so. <laughs> there's this company called Kavu, which is a Seattle hiking company. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember this from like the late 90s or something like that, where they would make the most aggressively ugly hiking clothes. Like if you imagine what you, in your mind somebody at like a string cheese incident <laughs> concert is wearing. Uh-huh. <laughs> where like, you know, um, it's like really weird designs and you know kind of uncomfortable looking fabrics all the shorts are super short <laughs> uh-huh. you know and like best worn with chacos yeah and so i've decided i like went online in a purchasing fit the other day and i bought a whole bunch of their clothes because i decided that i was going to lean fully into this outdoors look uh-huh. and that i was just going to walk around in short shorts and like really ugly <laughs> Hiking boots and shit. So how is yeah. this different from what you've been doing? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just pressing the pedal that like before I buy stuff like I don't know, like I mean all this stuff is expensive, but it's like Arcteryx or Patagonia, stuff like that, which I feel like is much more normy, you know, and mm-hmm. I wanted to bust through the normy part of it and get to the like like the outdoor hippie type of look. Yeah. It's less like technical wear and more like Tacoma, like cafe denizen. Right, me. right. Exactly. Like the 75 year old guys who meet up on Thursday morning with their like to go mugs. Oh, that's a little old. I was, I mean, that might be <laughs> it, but that, that's, that, that feels a little old. What I was thinking was kind of like a 32 year old who, you know, teaches outdoor leadership and is considering. Um, trying out for one of these survivalist reality TV shows where they get dropped off. I'm not in the sure this of is a type. It's definitely a type. I think this is like two people. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, so uh, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm going for it, even though you know I've got my camper van that I drive around. I'm gonna hop out in all outdoor gear, and it's just gonna be how I roll from here on out. I don't know. If you ask me, if you press me, I would tell you I'm doing it ironically, but clearly I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) It looks good. You look super comfortable. I was going to compliment you you before we got on, but I figured I'd I'd, uh, save my powder for the The tie-dye matches. The tie-dye shirt matches the hat also. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very impressive. Probably accidental. They they have these hats that have like, um, I have one, and they're tie-dye, and they have a Tiva strap. Remember the like sort of you remember how like Tiva would do those like weird mosaic like kind of mosaic type designs on their straps? Yeah. It's oh yeah. Got one, it's got one of those like oh wow wrapped around the. Whole, I mean, it is so ugly. And That's I intense. Wear it, I wear it um, dropping my kid off at school. I'm like fully committing to this. 
Um, all right. Vincent, we brought you on because we wanted to talk about, uh, well, we want to talk about a variety of things, but I think we're going to talk a bit about, uh, you wrote an article in the New Yorker recently, and it was about the Trump, um, the Trump mugshot. I did. Right? And I really enjoyed it because yeah, I felt great. like Thank it you. was one of these things where our place of employment is very nice in this way in which you can like write about something like that and you can approach it from a critical lens and you can write up and you can sort of indulge in the writing of it more than just saying what you might at another publication, which is just like, here's the four things you should know. And here's like one takeaway type of thing. Right. right. And so yeah. why, why don't you tell us like, what, what was, what sort of struck you about the Trump uh, mugshot? Yeah. I've been sort of thinking about, Trump visually since, I guess, the election um, that uh, since the 2020 election, I guess uh, that was um, oh, 2016. Was he elected in 2016? Yeah, I, 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 keep, I keep getting uh, <laughs> it, that, that piece ran under this rubric that um, um, we started back in 2016 when he won, which was like uh, it's called Annals of Appearances for people who mm-hmm. care about New Yorker rubrics. But it's a way of, <laughs> which it's nobody. Um, um, it's a way of like looking at uh, reading politics through images, through like current events images and stuff like that. Um, and uh, just the way that he looks has always just been fascinating to me. Like he yeah. um, is a very careful custodian of how he looks. I can't even tell if he thinks he's good looking or not. Like there are certain things where you can see straight through to his actual insecurity. Like he tells you how good he is an athlete. I don't know if you saw his most recent post on um, Truth Social or whatever that was like, I I just happened to have won another tournament at Bedminster again. I just, I don't know what it is. I'm just a great athlete. And then he, and then he tells you, he tells you like, and there's no way to cheat. Okay. Like the secret service is right there. He's like (laughs) anticipating the fact that, you know, he's a cheater, you know, (laughs) there's so many ways in which you know exactly what his anxiety is, but, his looks, I don't know. I think he might actually uh, be obsessed with himself uh, visually. And obviously Definitely. his supporters are. And um, so this was just like a really interesting test of like the sort of Trump facial brand. You know, I think there are a lot Ooh. of liberals who are being like, this is going to be the moment he's brought low. And like everybody on Twitter was like, I can't wait until we need a countdown until the, the thing comes out and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't know if this is going to go how you think it's going to. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know if this is going like to be the humiliation for this moment. Yeah. yeah I don't think yeah. this is going to be it for you. I mean, I think it's going to go really great for Trump. Um, yeah. And so it was a really, it was just so strange, like path. You could see that uh, sort of anticipatory thing deflate pretty quickly. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, uh, I, I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, like the <laughs> thing about the, it's like, you think about it back in the day, I think a lot of people, if you're, especially if you're younger, you don't remember, but in the 1980s, Donald Trump was a huge sex symbol, right? Like he was seen as this amazing looking guy and there would be stories put out. Like even when he was running, a lot of those stories ran the first time 2016. And it right. was like, oh, like when he would come to the club, all the women would go crazy because he was like seen as this handsome, rich, successful guy. I just Back watched then. the first episode of Six in the City for the first time. And there's a line in there about uh, Mr. Big and it's like, He's like Donald Trump, except even more handsome. I was like, wow. Oh, my God. That was crazy. It was was obviously meant to be, he's the new handsome guy on the scene. Like, handsome, rich, uh, eligible black bachelor. And I was like, what? Right. Holy crap. That's crazy. I don't remember that. Uh, Trump was, I mean, he he was sort of, I mean, that's how he became famous in a lot of ways, right? Like, it wasn't just the buildings and everything like that. It was because... 
I mean, it's interesting because he doesn't drink, you know, but he would, he became famous he for town. going out. out and... He always had beautiful people around him too. Right. You know, that's part of what he does. He accessorizes with beauty. And he became, uh, yeah, he was sort of the playboy around town. I don't know. I think people really like to have that fantasy of New York City that yeah. you know, there are these ultra rich and powerful people who are sort of just, you know, they're like having parties like two blocks from where you are, you know, <laughs> and you'll never know them, but they're so beautiful and they're so powerful that, that, uh, but at least they're within your proximity. What a, like that New York greatest city in the world, that type of thing. Like that was his appeal. Um, I don't know. Tammy, what do you think about this? Uh, do you think that he looked good in this bug? <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what that means anymore, but I was really interested in Vincent's reading of the image as this kind of like, as a work of art or as like a constructed, you know, like symbol um, that Trump had really practiced for. Like, I think Vincent, you have a line where he's in front of a mirror, you know, in yeah. his bathroom, like kind of getting ready, like figuring out how to pout his lips just so and stuff. And I think that's exactly right. I, but no, I don't. I don't actually think it's a particularly compelling portrait. I'm, so I'm interested in what he was going for because he's obviously very excited about it and is already using it in different places, right? He, it's on his website, yeah. and he's already selling apparel and has made. I think so it was one crazy. of his biggest fundraising days in a long time. It's like on T-shirts. It's on mugs. <laughs> it's on the, my favorite thing is that it's on like beer koozies, which is like. <laughs> Which is so like Richmond, north of Richmond, like some guy out like fishing with this fucking like Donald Trump's face and it says never surrender under it. It's just like the stupidest (laughs) thing in the world. I want one. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be hilarious to walk around Berkeley with one of those. Oh my God. (laughs) So you can get like a ripped limb from limb and be on like the next door app tomorrow (laughs) this man wearing tie-dye and chacos walked by my house today carrying a donald trump mugshot deer koozie be on the lookout (laughs) (laughs) fascists around (laughs) strangely he appeared to be asian (laughs) yeah i mean i uh for those who have not seen it the composition is quite striking he's lifting one eyebrow he's quite orange um, his hair, you know, is not it, it, his hair is a very strange color. It looks kind of like, you know, when children, uh, white children are super blonde when they're like five or six years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's sort of that That's color. Early. Like a, I've, I've learned from watching Trump that that means he's early in the dye cycle, which means, again, like mm-hmm. he has been practicing this. Like he looked right. like that the first day he showed up to the Oval Office after like the inauguration. Like he, there's a there's a almost there's a wheat white blonde. Yeah. That means right. he just got a new rinse. That's right. Oh, so Before he just it got all, it. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. Then it gets, it like gets it oranger, starts, yeah. it gets weirder. Mm-hmm. But this yeah. is, or he got it. He, he got a new dye salon. like two days before this. Man, I'll tell you, <laughs> even, even dye jobs are very difficult. There's a period of time where I would dye my hair green from time to time. This really? is much younger in my life. Yeah. But for me to dye my hair green, I would have to bleach it. You have to bleach it. For, yeah. yeah. And bleaching it was that like, just destroyed it was crazy it was like i look like a leopard because it was so hard to <laughs> i was just doing it myself and it was like and like it would all unevenly it would all unevenly bleach but yeah he uh i don't know i think he has like i said he has one eyebrow raised and he clearly is looking very defiant vince and i agree with you there's zero question that he practiced this look he probably had options i don't think it's i don't think he's the type of guy who like 
uh, crowdsources it with aids, you know, and it's like puts up like photos. Like you can imagine like what the room would be like where there's like yeah. five options. I don't think he does any of that. I think he's too lazy to do any of that. And also like probably doesn't trust anyone else's opinion. Mm-hmm. But like this was clearly constructed and it's a look of anger. Would you call it anger? Would you call it defiance? What would defiance? you call it, Vincent? Yeah. I, I, I would call it, um, I would call it defiance. Um, it seems like, and I didn't write this in my piece, but I, I, it seems like a very like in-group communication thing. It's like he's almost looking, he's looking with an anger, but also like a, can you believe this shit to his supporters? He's like, right. look what they got me doing now. It's very like, um, it, it's very, it's like taken from the lens of like the sort of one camera um, faux documentary of like, like Jim looking at the camera in the office. Like, can you believe this shit? Um, there's <laughs> like, the eyebrow, yeah. It's very communicative in that way, you know? Um, and I think it's like a signal that he knows how to put out. And I think that his supporters hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of a couple of things. Um, it reminded me first of the very famous Frank Sinatra mugshot, you know, mm-hmm. where I think Frank Sinatra is also raising an eyebrow, looks extremely defiant. And then weirdly, it reminded me of the Jane Fonda, you know, who obviously Trump has had a lot of interactions within a negative sense mugshot. But, you know, that actually shows the power of these. Those examples show the power of these mugshots, right? For a lot of these people, their mugshot is the most famous image that they'll get. It's like this incredible PR thing as long as a person has fans, right? Like, I mean, uh, you know, Mick Jagger has a famous one, right? Is that right? Um, yeah. Lindsay Lohan, Lohan has several uh, right. quite, quite good ones. Um, <laughs> right. Very Sinatra. Expensive. Jane Fonda, I think, is probably the most famous image of her, period, right? The one where she has her fist in the air. Um, mm-hmm. And that, I don't know, for, like, it is, Trump well, it, is of a generation where he understands this. I think younger yeah. people now probably don't because it, you know, it really is sort of a relic of the 70s and 80s. But, like, for Trump, I think that's what he was going for. I guarantee he was excited that he was having his mugshot taken, you know? Like, I don't know. I can't imagine that he... Was like maybe he even asked for it, you know? Like, there's like, why would he resist this? Like, it's very, very, as you pointed out, Vincent, it's very good for him. Well, were you guys surprised? Because I remember before the all these indictments started coming down, there was a lot of discussion. They would have, you know, prosecutors and other law enforcement people on, you know, different talk shows talking about what sorts of um, considerations would be made for the president. Like, will he have a mugshot? Like, will they perp walk him? Like, you know, what sorts of, like. Uh, gifts are they going to give him to give him a little bit of a break or on the other hand like actually by doing this are we helping him get reelected? um so i feel like the in the georgia case it's quite interesting because i mean admirably like i think they were just really going for it but i yeah i do sort of worry a little bit because it is less cautious than people had sort of recommended earlier on right yeah i think that's the whole messaging of uh, i think uh, fonnie willis who is the mm-hmm. district attorney in, in yeah. fulton county uh, her message from, I mean, she's also just like become like it's so funny how anything with Trump can make anybody the most famous. Like I just like she's right, totally. she's like instantly <laughs> iconic as well. But it seems to be seems to have been her tack from the beginning is like every everyone else is kind of waffling and everybody else doesn't yeah. know. And the only way to meet clarity is with clarity, right? And, right. Um, and I guess this is like one of the ways that people have uh, sort of recommended fighting Trump from the beginning, like that you can't meet him as a sort of meek, neurotic, nervous proceduralist. You have to meet him 
on the level of like combat. And I think I think that's still the subtext of like obviously the GOP primary. It's the subtext of any number of uh, anything that has to do with Trump. Um, and it's still like I think there still is no answer because it, besides losing to Joe Biden, I, I think of that guy as just like constantly winning and owning his enemies. Hmm. So uh, we're still trying to figure out what the thing is. And I think she just decided the way I'm going to do it is just go straight at him. Like I would go at anybody that I felt was a criminal. Yeah. Tammy, how do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel about this general bigger idea that, um, you know, you, you were the one you just said you felt like it was not that you felt like it was, but that perhaps some other people felt like it was not, not a cautious approach. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm just worried, like, for I think the reasons that Vincent even articulated in his story, that this is, like, such an incredible PR thing that he's going to be able to use. And, yeah, this kind of in-communication, in-group communication vehicle. I think, on the other hand, like, at some point, there's just so many criminal indictments that you can't not treat this person as a criminal defendant. And also, in this case, with all of the other people, like, they would have to be put through their paces, so he couldn't be excluded from that. But I do, I guess I do worry. I've also been thinking a lot about this, like, just cycles of retribution and kind of, like, what we're doing just sort of period with all of these Trump indictments and, like, where it's going to land us. Like, I was looking through some Korean president mugshots type and like perp walk photos um before we got on because i was like there like there's a country and it's not the only one right where there are so many presidents who've been put in prison after the fact and it you know it, it leads to um i don't know i mean it's not wrong but on the other but on the other hand like obviously it leads to different like cycles of polarization and difficulty in the political process so um i don't know i've just i think in reading all of the indictments and following the the um pre-trial stuff i just am worried yeah about what it's all going to mean but i don't know what the right thing to do is do you have an aesthetic critique of those korean president mugshots is there <laughs> is there like a, a style that that seems to you unique or it's a lot of perp walks right? well i think one of the yeah it's a lot of perp walk photos i think what's interesting about a thing that often gets commented on with the korean presidents is um like there'll be these photos that are released after like a couple of weeks let alone a couple of months in prison mm-hmm. and all of the work that they get done on their faces, they obviously <laughs> don't have access to. So they just look like incredibly old and sort of literally deflated. <laughs> like in the case of people who are getting Botox and fillers and, you know, the wonderful Korean skin regimen that they go through usually. So um, I always find that very funny. And when it's like a thing that I agree with, like, obviously that makes me feel one way about it, but um, you know, I do think that like in Korea, the cycles of imprisonment have definitely had this impact where it sets up for the next election. Um, just a very divisive situation. I mean, whatever. This is not it's not at all unique to that situation. Um, but it's been going through my mind a lot. I, I do wonder, though, whether those images and like how they teach us to see our leaders and things like that. I mean, American imagery mm-hmm. around the president is very, very manufactured. You know, it's very, you know, this is why we have the profession of advance people that go and essentially create sets such such that like, you know, this rally or this speech is a photograph, a photographable event. It's like the most photographed thing other than like a wedding or whatever is like any presidential campaign. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And I, I do wonder if an image like this tutors us to think about our leaders differently. And I've been thinking a lot about like what I actually believe. Like, do I actually think that democracy is more stable because every yeah. president doesn't get arrested after, as they probably all should? Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, 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 like, 
if we if we took international law seriously, every one of them would have an image like this. And and it's so true. But of yeah. course, like, would that make more January sixths happen because That's it like int- introduces the element of conspiracy and government control right. and this and that? Right. Like, is that measure of justice um, actually destabilizing, or does is the is this the sort of photographic staging of the presidency one of the things that, I mean, like, not that our system is working so great, but like, is it one of the things that keep, makes it hold at all? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And the, totally. the, the images are very powerful. So I do understand why they're so constructed, but I kind of agree with you that like, we don't have the same attitude about presidents, for example, that they had for a while in France or in, or in, or in England, right. Where they just have this tabloid, uh, they have tabloids and like you just see all these photographs from paparazzi of all these leaders and political leaders in somewhat unflattering light, right? Like that was sort of the entire point, I think, of the British tabloids was for a while was to like photograph Fergie or something like that, looking <laughs> terrible or something like that, right? It's a little bit different now. Now that that's not like an elected leader, but they would do the same thing for Margaret Thatcher, Tony Blair or whoever. Like we don't really have that. Um, and then the candid moments are always so weird and forced. I will say one that's very powerful to me is the one where uh, Barack Obama was body surfing in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is this the post-presidential one? No, no, no. I think it was it was after the election, but after he was like on a vacation and he was like really up out of the water, which I can't do. Like it's really hard to body surf and like leverage your chest above the water and get your arms out. And, oh, like, right, right. and it's just like. I don't know. It really has <laughs> been a lasting image in my head. It's like actually, every time I think like about sailing. Obama, I think about that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They exactly. actually are athletic. But way cooler. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, much, cooler. Way, cooler. much more cool, at least to me, where it's just like, I mean, sailing is like whatever. You're pulling on some ropes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now the only yeah. like, the only like, the lasting images of like Biden will be like various times he fell or whatever. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's yeah, like, it does so bad. <laughs> Well, he's got four more. I mean, hopefully he has four more years to fall. But um, to your other point, I, I, that's how I think about it, too. I just try and think about it very pragmatically, because like, I don't really have enough faith in the criminal justice system or belief in the criminal justice system to think that there is any type of real like, oh, well, he deserved it. So he got it. You know, like that's what I think some of the resistance type of arguments are. And then you think about it pragmatically and you're like, all right, if I put myself in the shoes of a Trump supporter and all of a sudden this thing that happened two years ago, like right before in the lead up to an election and a primary, all these indictments start coming down. Right. And what am I going to think about it? It's like, well, my guy and my guy is actually on Truth Social every day screaming about how it's all like a government plot and that they're, right. you know, that democracy is over and they're they're imprisoning leaders like they don't even do that in x y and z country right they're doing it here like uh who are the real fascists who are the ones that like like all those arguments are going to be very convincing and i don't see what the plus is the best case scenario here is that trump gets routed in the general election and just kind of fades into irrelevance right but like what is the, the, the dream is that like trump goes to jail which like of course he should he, he's like right. he should have been in jail for a long time um but it, you know if you're depending on that for a kind of catharsis i feel like it's kind of mm-hmm. like if that becomes the outpour of like a feeling then it's like well whatever i mean i guess it teaches every U- u.s president that this could happen to you um but i'm still thinking through i mean it would be the thing that actually made like it would it, it would be the only thing that made like a difference right like 
he would be in, pre- in, yeah. in prison. Like that's a real, you know, he can do lots of things not in prison that he like. It really does change a political reality if, if, if Trump is in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure he will like the same way rappers find a way to put out albums from jail. I feel like he will be the first person to tweet from jail. But, <laughs> um, well, but he, you will, know, like, he will find a way, but it will be different, you know. You, you've you've sort of made this allusion to Goodfellas, right, in your piece and how Trump sort of has always visually presented himself as a mafioso, which I think is true. You know, like I think all the gold-plated stuff, the way that he sort of, I don't know, the suits that the he wears, everything jackets, is sort of like yeah, that. Like yeah. He <laughs> has um, always admired those guys, for sure. And I think this in is Goodfellas, they just run stuff from prison, right? They <laughs> cook, they have dinner. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like why couldn't he do that? You know, like why couldn't he just why couldn't he just tell some Hope Hicks or whoever it is, whoever the Hope Hicks is at the time, you know, tweet this, you know? Yes. Like they, <laughs> they can do that. A lot of people in prison have people on the outside who are running social media for them, right? Yeah, and maybe like you know what? Maybe it wouldn't messages. be better. Maybe it would just be Andrew Tate did that from prison. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like I obviously agree with you that we've had lots of war criminals and other people, you know, bad actors in the past run our country. It does seem like with January 6th and with the scheming around the election, it it draws a line in the sand that's different somehow. I mean, in other words, I think like we're used to the idea of our leaders committing crimes abroad. Yeah, war crimes. You know, but I think like this whole issue of like, can a stable democracy like exist if we let this sort of thing go is the thing that to me is like, that's what liberals and and me too and other people I feel like want vindication on in some way and and so we do need like the Fannie Willis's of the world to try to like you know give us a piece of that I I feel like even if there were some sort of plea deal it might be okay I don't know I'm not sure if we have to go all the way to jail for everybody to be satisfied is there a thing where if you're a if you I don't know if you're a felon if you even if you take a plea deal that marks you as a felon are you whatever um that you can't run for president no. They're like, there's none of that, right? Yeah, nothing. But he I would run from jail. That, did like, you guys see Isaac Chotner's interview recently that was about the constitutional limitations, perhaps, on him being able to run because of the January 6th thing? Like, legal scholars are starting to make these arguments about whether uh-huh. there would be there have been already disqualifying things that he has done. But, God. you know, who knows? <laughs> none of that yeah. seems, ever seems to matter for Trump. Yeah, so. no, I, yeah, <laughs> but that's the other part about it. It's like, it really is like that, you know, whatever that tweet like oh let's see donny trump wriggle himself out of this one right like it's just like (laughs) we have we've had eight years now since 2015 of this just going on and on and on and it's just very hard to have any faith that it's going to end up with any type of result that actually harms him in any type of way yeah and my attitude about it has been at some point, somebody was like, do you want to write about the indictments? And I was like, I don't really know. I, my attitude is just like, can you wake me up when he goes to jail? <laughs> you know? like, <laughs> right. like, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time following this story. Um, I understand it's a big deal, but I also just kind of think like, well, I'm not really exactly sure how seriously we're supposed to take this. And, yeah. um, and then at the same time, I also think some of the questions that we have about backlash and stuff like that um and further polarization it's like well i don't know you know like these people already believe that the system is trying to imprison 
Donald Trump. And if he actually goes to jail, is it going to be any worse than what they already think about the government and Joe Biden? Probably not. You know, like it's not. But would it spur them like, to more action? Like I kind yeah, of do maybe. think about like bigger riots. Like I, you know, yeah. I, 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 I think I, my like most resistance belief is that January 6th made more January 6th like events more probable and possible. Um, right. Just because some like I think there are a lot of people that you know I think um, are sort of campily involved in all of this and and shout these things and then just like whatever go to work. Um, but I think there are some people <laughs> who like you know there's a deeper core of people who would or will do things. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I. I, I and do you I'm think right. that especially because there hasn't been a lot of criminal criminal sanctions for the people who've been involved in that? That that hasn't happened yet. Um, yeah. Y- yeah, I think, first of all, I think they all think that Trump is going to become the president again, and they might yeah. not be wrong about that. Um, uh. Uh, yeah, they might not be wrong about that. And I do think that they are following this all like a story, you know? And I think that some of the reason that, like, they have maintained a lighthearted posture or, like, a relatively whatever non-murderous posture is, like, he beat the <laughs> Russia probe. And, you know... They have been vindicated about Hunter Biden. I, you know, um, I, right. One of the one of the biggest delights in my life is reading about Hunter Biden every single motherfucking day in the oh New York Times. <laughs> um, they, it's like all they talk about. They talk about Hunter Biden more than they talk about the election or anything else. So um, and I think there's a way of reading history from their point of view, and by the way, from ours that says like Trump's basically been vindicated in one way or another every time. Um, yeah. And if if it ever seemed like there was a hard cap on that, um, because I mean, what what other political activity does that group have? Like nothing else. It's like really is Trump. There's nothing else. Like it's not a sort of. It doesn't follow the logic of a political party or or any kind of establishment. Like if it seemed like there was just a ceiling on the Trump thing, I I do wonder. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I just don't know. Yeah, I, one of the things you wrote that was interesting to me that I want to talk about right here is, um, you know, you wrote that the hatred that Trump has long displayed for his predecessor, Barack Obama, has tended to shroud a more interesting reality. The 45th president is the single best student of the 44th. <laughs> Trump knows from symbols, knows that this new one will stand out more as a Rorschach than as an automatic indictment, knows that it will work as well for him as it does for his adversaries. What do you what, like? Unpack that a little bit because i think it's a quite profound mm-hmm. thing well i think that you know first of all this is like one of the the, the themes of the novel i wrote um oh yeah that that, that comes out in march you get every, well, yeah. you'll um, come back obviously but... yeah, yeah yeah um right. it's, it's just about the highly symbolic nature of the obama appeal and you know how symbols match up with or don't match up with like hard like unarticulable political realities, right? That like, there was a symbolic dimension to, especially American politics that like Obama was like the great master of like, he synthesized so many of those strains. Um, And of course this hurt him like every single second after he was elected, but boy, you know, was it powerful. And I think Trump is, is just like that, except in a way that the people who like to interpret symbols don't like. Do you know what I mean? Like um, the people who are uh, prepared best to read Trump as symbol uh, tend to be people who oppose him uh, politically and therefore sort of 
don't analyze this aspect of his appeal. Is that like mm-hmm. he knows what an image is? Like speaking of the New York Post, the New York Post, which has, by the way, Rupert Murdoch and the Post and Fox News have been trying so hard to like back up off of Trump. Like even they have been trying to just sort of every once in a while they'll say something about Trump. It'll be like on the bottom. It won't be on the top anymore. It won't. He you never gets the cover of the Post anymore. They're just trying to like just the facts, man, with him mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and mostly like go negative on Biden. They don't care about Trump, right? That's been like, they're done with him. And even they realized like what happened with that. They ran, the first time I've ever seen this, I'm sure it's happened, but you know, they always have like a sort of pithy, funny headline. Um, they just ran the mugshot. No words. They, did, they realized how powerful it was. They didn't even sully it with a headline. It was just mm-hmm. words. And it was like, that's what he knows how to do, is like turn his image into some like Andy Warhol shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. just like the same way, like, you know, Shepard Ferry and all these other artists like made a big deal of making Obama an icon. Trump is like a bizarro icon and he knows it. Like there's that, these crazy, you know, the, um, the painter, um, John McNaughton, who write who who does those like forgotten man oh, yeah. uh, paintings that are like very like stylized and and it's like Trump like sort of like helping a forgotten man up off the ground. Yeah. Or, sometimes he, <laughs> they look like communist paintings, but they're yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's one that I saw recently where he's like wearing a, a like a leather football helmet, like he's fucking you know the first Yale football player. Oh my god, <laughs> um, and like and and you know. There are many others. The um the, the that cartoonist Ben, I forget his last name. Um Oh uh, yeah, what's I forget, his name? whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um but like he has been styled as this like hunky sort of uh crusader who's taking on the slings and arrows of the establishment, the swamp, the people who don't like us, and he's taking it all for you. And that has like corresponded with some visual like these paintings, a lot of like a lot of times when you see Trump portrayed by his followers he's like hunky he's like <laughs> got muscles and shit and he's like straining at the arms the biceps part of his suit like it is a visual trope and he like he feeds right into it he hears it and he like responds to it with his own thing um do you think and- that he develops that on his own or was it like i was thinking about like mark burnett the producer of the apprentice and you know the yeah. production of the image of trump that you know i think like contributed to his election obviously and like you know, his fame after his bankruptcies and all that, like, or is that something intuitive that he has done himself? Well, he predates the apprentice, right? I mean, the Trump buildings in New York City are oh, so sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, his, like what right. Vincent was talking about in terms of him understanding himself as an icon, producing his right. image in certain ways, you know? Well, I think it, well, that's what I mean. I think it started with the buildings and like him being this knight. I've, have you ever been inside one of the Trump buildings in New York City? No. Or uh, I've been in the lobby of one of the hotels. I've seen them from the outside my whole life, of course, but I've been in the lobby once. I had this weird job once where me and my friend, this was when I was very young. My friend and I, our job was to clear out the t- the penthouse of the Trump building on the west side where all the Yankees live, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh. So back then, like Derek Jeter lived in that building and Hideki Matsui lived in that building. Huh. But um, the penthouse was being used by GQ magazine, or maybe it was Esquire. I think it was Esquire for some sort of party place. And they needed it cleaned out. So my friend and I somehow got this 
kind of almost like before task rabbit type job to clean it out. And so <laughs> I spent two days in there, you know, it's like, so obviously him, right. Mm-hmm. Black marble, a lot of gold stuff. And, um, you know, I think that that's, he started to understand that you have to be kind of over the top and very like what I think a lot of people, a lot of his critics would call tacky, but that's yeah. how you sort of distinguish yourself and that there are enough people who will like that, uh, that they'll say this is, you know, everybody else is wrong about taste. Like who cares what those people mm-hmm. think? And, you know, he's a master of it. The red hat, like, I mean, come oh, on. God. Like that was a genius branding moment, right? If you think about yeah. it, um, in the same way that Obama's Shepherd Fairy image was a genius branding moment, right? Like it gave somebody, everybody something to slap a sticker on somewhere, right? Um, it gave it recognizable colors. It gave it sort of a, a look that could be seen and be almost magisterial, but also in some ways like not scary, right? It was... Uh, it was like a welcoming type of image and Trump just kind of does the opposite of it. Right. He just does like big flashy and somewhat menacing. And uh, I just think that that's basically been his life. There's nothing distinctive about the buildings he makes, you know, outside of the branding of it inside how they kind of look, he's just, you know, I don't know. I think it's been his career. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, I think there are many stories of him, even if it's like the worst story in the world, you know, in, whatever magazine Forbes or Esquire or whatever way back in the day sending notes of thanks being like I look great on the yeah. cover thank you you know like yeah. he does not care what you're saying about him it's like you just like um in that like speaking of like visual branding and that like crazily like vertical handwriting of his um but <laughs> <laughs> but also like you know it, one of my favorite um Trump tweets is the one and this is like back in like 2011 where he's like uh uh, I just pulled it up so I could uh, quote it. Barney Frank looked disgusting, nipples oh, wow. protruding in his blue shirt before Congress. Very, very disrespectful. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, first of all, oh like that's God. the thing of like a, a, a schoolyard bully. Like everybody knows that the, the person that's best in like the snap contest is somebody who like notices what your nipples look like in your shirt or whatever. But he also <laughs> like, it shows like how closely he watches like himself and yeah. how much he thinks it? of, no matter what, who it is, like you always hear something one of my favorite things in Politico uh, is always like we, we hear Trump l- loves how that person looks on TV or whatever. Like he likes even like good looking men, like he wants them to be his um, like spokesperson instead of somebody that's going to look like haggard on TV. Yeah. Like he like has that sort of like, I don't know, like perfected by watching soap operas, just like, this like gossipy thing of like that person looks horrible why are they on tv mm-hmm. for, yeah that, i swear that so was true. his problem with sean spicer you know yeah 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 he looks kind of sweaty like, all the time on tv <laughs> yeah he's got his stupid tie he looks like a dork and then he finally found his true muse in sarah huckabee sanders who like would just look like a menace out there you know it's <laughs> just like she looked i look i don't agree with sarah huckabee sanders politics right but um Man, she was good at her that that specific job because she, she, she was. looked the part of like she was just gonna break you if you asked the wrong question. <laughs> she just yeah. looks so mean. You yeah, know? like his his true like his true calling was to be like 
a casting agent for <laughs> yeah, TV. Like, he, knows, he knows how you're supposed to look. And like, this is what like Roger Ailes was so good at too. It's like, actually, you're going to wear this short skirt and you're going to cross your legs and you're going to sit under a glass table where everybody can see like this, like very yeah. lurid, like leching kind of like, here's how you're supposed to look thing. Um, I think he has that down, you know, and like it works. He extends it to his children, which is messed up. You know, like, sure, um, sure. and then also like Hope Hicks or whatever, right? right? Like, these are yeah. all people who look great. Kaylee, Mc, Kaylee McEnany, right? Must we forget right. the LeBron James <laughs> of cable television. <laughs> Never seen a talent burn so bright so fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, I don't know, I, I find it all to be, um, I don't know, I mean, I guess we'll see. What's the timeline on this thing? Like they said they wanted it in the next like two months or something, right? Or next three months they want the Georgia thing to be resolved. And um, I don't know. I think the other thing is, Vincent, I was thinking about, I wonder how you feel about it, which was that like, I do think that the mainstream press, you know, CNN aside or all that sort of anger about his town hall, like they had been kind of ignoring him, right? Like you said, even the Post doesn't really talk about him. And now I think that more what he wants more than anything, because he understands how these things works, is attention. And this gives him like he's now dominant in the in the news cycle again, right? And he has a story to tell about that. And for his followers, who are the only people that matter, it's somewhat compelling, right? And then there's a portion of the public that's always going to be mad at him and they get something out of it too, which is why I think you're right. You know, like there is like a like that mugshot is for everybody, <laughs> you know, everyone can get something out of it, right? Like they yeah. get, they get great satisfaction or they get great satisfaction being from being really angry about it. Right. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. He sort of gave, um, he served, I think that's what kids say. Isn't that what the kids say? <laughs> he, yeah, he, 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 get, he gave what he was How supposed to give. Oh, I don't even know how to use that. So do you guys, I mean, it sounds like you guys actually think he's has like a real probability of getting elected. Benson, is I, that what you were intimating? Well, I, so, I mean, I was thinking about this a lot, um, certainly during the debate, which to me was very um, telling about this because, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that the, the GOP was ever like the great party of ideas or anything like that. <laughs> um but it's just so striking how bored that audience was by anything that really had to do with policy. Like the yeah. times they booed, the times they jeered were almost 100% one-to-one about what position the person was taking on Donald Trump. Like when Chris Christie yeah. was going negative on Donald Trump, they're booing him. When uh, uh, Vivek, who is uh, Pence, yeah, uh, Vivek is being super tro- uh, pro-Trump and saying he would pardon him, big cheers. Um, oh, to me, it's still the only like interesting policy thing on the GOP side. And I think the, the thing that only like the, the only policy issue that to me has any real stakes, um, in that, in, just in terms of like where that party actually goes is the Ukraine issue, like how genuinely polarized they are on that. And there is this sort of like new right, sort of vaguely pro-Russia, um, anti-interventionist, yeah, and, you know, yeah. "Quote unquote anti-interventionist." <laughs> yeah, but thank you for adding those quotes. I think they were actually necessary. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like so, like Vivek, Vivek, for instance, in a recent interview post-debate, um, 
he's like, you guys are trying to call me um, a protectionist, but actually what I am is a Nixonian realist. Oh my um, God. So trying to like read this new tendency into the, the sort of uh, tradition of, for example, George H.W. Bush and uh, Brent Scowcroft, people who, you know, early Colin Powell, people who were actually uh, foreign policy realists and had a, an idea about intervention and when and how to intervene with this new thing that's basically about uh, affinity to Putin. Not that mm-hmm. I, and by the way, I think there are many real reasons to be very worried about the United States role in that yeah. conflict. Um, but I just think it's one of those like horseshoe theory things that you can't tell which one I you're hearing right. until it's already too late, you know? Yeah. Well, what what you what you think about the debates? Let's just yeah, let's transition to that because yeah, that was the yeah, other yeah. topic. But like, yeah, what what'd you think watching it? Because I watched it, and my takeaway was, I don't want to do this job anymore <laughs> where I have to watch. <laughs> it's so it's, it's so dehumanizing to watch to watch it. Jamie, did you watch it too? I didn't watch it all the way through. I'm not as brave as you guys. I mostly caught clips and read about it afterwards. I was I was out reporting a piece and I and like there's nothing more satisfying to me than cable news in a hotel room. It's just like it's just like a, <laughs> right. a final it's like way the only to time I ever watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like a way to finally just like take a breath and acknowledge that you're lonely. It's just like the saddest <laughs> thing in the world. It's like, all right, I'm gonna put on cable news. I like <laughs> ordered food to the hotel. I just like I watch. Oh all yeah, I, like wow. I know that scene very well. Then you like switch over to Sports Center, and you realize <laughs> at some point you're like, I already watched this Sports Center, and then you're like, I gotta go to sleep. <laughs> I gotta go to sleep. So it's such a sad scene, but um, I thought it was fascinating, and I thought it just doubled down on the fact that like Trump's definitely gonna be the nominee, and oh, God, yeah. and. I, I, Jesus. And if, wow. I, you know, I, you know, there's a way of thinking like, so for example, I thought Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, let's just like, if you want to headline the debate, uh, Vivek is a messaging genius and he's like some like got this weird like debate kid intensity that makes you feel unsettled and it's like a sort of Adderall stomach ache, but he's easily the best speaker up there. He was like hmm. owning Mike Pence to so, like, astronomically he's like i don't know what mike was just talking about just like stuff just to make pence matter at him yeah um, and the substance of his thing was uh donald trump make me your vice president please yeah why he wants that job i don't know Thank but God. he was easily like the most like if, if you didn't know who he was and you watched five minutes of that then you're like who's that um which i think especially for an early debate is the only reason um there was like, you know, there's Asa Hutchinson from Arkansas. There's that dude with the eyebrows from, I don't Todd know. Todd Bogram. Bogram, yeah. yeah. What a, what a, what a set of eyebrows. Jesus Christ. I would, <laughs> I would do anything for some of that. Burt Reynolds, like fucking. Yeah, um, Scorsese, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, but so they would have killed for that performance. But then on the other side, there's like the, you know, I, I want to not be Trump, like Nikki Haley, Tim Scott. Chris Christie, people who are willing to put down uh, critiques of Trump. And I kept on thinking, to me, the most appealing of that bunch or the person that I would be like, you know, if reality were a thing, like I'd be like worried about facing would be Nikki Haley. Yeah. She's like this like telegenic. She can actually like speak in sentences in that context. Mm -hmm. She's the only person that like won an exchange. She has a, she has a, it was part of it is a lot of it is crazy. The other day she said she thinks the <laughs> retirement age should be higher. I'm like, in the Trump GOP, 
who do you think you're talking to? Like, who, <laughs> what business conservative are you? Who is worried about the marginal tax rate? Like, so I was like, what, what are we talking about? Um, but like, I can imagine a race like where she wins and immediately like the existential edge is off of this election. Oh, and you mean if for Biden? If she somehow if, won. If she won and was going against Biden, I think, first of all, the, the turnout would like plummet. It would be like mm-hmm. the lowest right. turnout election in like four cycles, Seriously. which might be, you know, all those things that we're like, oh, Democrats can win in Georgia. That would be done, right? Like we would not, like that would not happen. Um, so it was just interesting to think through these eventualities that will not happen because Trump's definitely going to win that primary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I saw I saw that Jay Rosen had tweeted. Maybe it wasn't Jay Rosen. Anyway, somebody like Jay Rosen tweeted, you know, Nikki Haley would beat Biden, right? And I was like, at first I was like, Puh. But then I did think about it and I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, yes, I agree with you. No one would vote. <laughs> right? That, that, and so be the big thing. I, I do think that it would be hard because I think a lot of the GOP base would just not show up um and so maybe she wouldn't have enough votes period right like no trump supporter is going to vote for nikki haley they're just not going to vote um but at the same time it is interesting because i do think that there's probably a lot of dissatisfaction with biden as is evidenced by everything basically around his (laughs) approval ratings and um I thought she was interesting. And then I, the, only re, the only reason why I had any type of doubt about it was because Brett Stevens in the New York Times' opinion roundup was like, said that Nikki Haley was the star of the evening, confident, prepared, sane, and projecting the aura of someone who can win a general election. And like my general rule of thumb, this is no disrespect to Brett Stevens, but like there's a type of establishment <laughs> Republican where if they say something, then I just believe the opposite is going to happen. <laughs> this is why I was like always fading Ron DeSantis from the very beginning, because like the establishment Republicans were saying, Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis. And I was like, if you're telling me that, especially like behind the scenes type of stuff, then I really don't think it's true because you're trying to make it happen by leveraging, you know, people like me to to take up on it. And I've just found that in the past, when you guys try and do this, the opposite always happens. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. With Vivek, I wrote about Vivek and it was like, I don't know, like it's it's interesting because like, uh, you know, our podcast, much to Tammy's chagrin, talks about Vivek a lot. And I think the reason is because in my <laughs> mind, I've realized that there is a path that I could have taken that instead of my <laughs> personal personality dysfunctions that if I had a slightly different set of personality dysfunctions that I could have turned out as somebody like Vivek. It's not so far (laughs) from me. And I think that the general, like I have like a really visceral reaction to him. I've had it since he started running, you know? Right. And I think it's from like a little bit of self-recognition, you know, like I've just been like, yeah, maybe I could. Yeah, I feel like you, like, you kind of fundamentally like that guy. Like you like something <laughs> no, about I that guy I and it's very him. disturbing. <laughs> I hate him in know? a way. Yes. in like a, but in a way that feels like I'm personally implicated in the hate, you know, like I, <laughs> I hate him and I love him in the same way that I hate and love myself. <laughs> <laughs> And I think about it, I'm just oh like, God. like when he was up there, just like making weird hand motions, mocking all the other candidates with this big shit eating grin on his face. Yeah. My thought was just like, 
How fun would that be? <laughs> I'm sorry. He just looked like he, he, looked he, was, like he, he was having a ball. He was having that's that's was, obvious. It was, yeah, was it was having, the best day of his life. Yeah, it really. The man has six hundred million dollars. I guarantee it was the best day of his life. I mean, he was just crushing it. Like he was, and in the most annoying, he was annoying every person he wanted to annoy. And yeah. it never ended, you know. Like, like no. Nikki Haley really looked like she wanted to strangle. She wanted to slap that. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Chris Christie looked like like I, people compared it to Pete, Mayor Pete, where they're like, oh, like Amy Klobuchar just hated him and found him so. But it's not the same because Mayor Pete was annoying for different reasons, you know. Even though I think Mayor Pete and Vivek are kind of the same person. They definitely in some have ways. a lot in common, right? But I think that Mayor Pete was always like, well, you know, like um. I'm the new guy in town and I'm mild mannered, but you know, I have a great plan. Whereas Vivek is like just putting a thumb in their eye and like kind of dancing around. And I was just like, this is like, uh, obviously he doesn't believe a word he says. Right. And because but that I don't is know. so dangerous. He's like a monster. That guy. I know. I find it. Wow. I yeah, definitely do not share this. Essay. You don't, I, you don't, you don't see yourself in Vivek, Tammy. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe we've talked about him in like seven shows. Yeah, I'm I know. Like, I never what stopped. What is going on? My life is horrible. What were we about to say though, Tammy? I'm sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say, I had this also weird moment in watching some of the, the, the summary parts of the debate where I, like, I have these like Emily's List moments. I don't know if you guys, <laughs> so like if, if for listeners who may not know, Emily's List is an like a nonprofit-ish organization that tries to groom talent, electoral talent among women, right. like women and basically is like essentially kind of amoral about it. Like they don't care what party you are, like what belief system you have for the most part. Um, so I feel like I'm obviously like I don't accord politically, but I hate it when you have like I got a, a stage full of like 20 guys. It's just so yeah. it just makes me feel so sick. Um, that that's all. <laughs> it is weird, it's especially not any like, better on the dumb side. So, and that got really interesting because like the only other interesting policy thing besides Ukraine for me was the abortion issue, right? So like, yeah. you have um, uh, yeah, Tim Nikki Scott, Haley. yeah, Tim, yeah, Tim Scott and Pence saying mm-hmm. like we should the next move should be to enact a fi- like a federal fifteen yeah. week federal ban or whatever, and Nikki Haley is like actually pushing back against that. Um, and talking about like not criminalizing women and um, yeah. you know, uh, talking partially through the language of pra- pragmatics, like we don't have 60 centers to do that, so right. don't lie to the right. people, like, but also saying that. like, you know, this other thing that seemed like, <laughs> you know, I don't know what it was, a moment of human empathy. And I, I kind of think, I, I don't believe that any of these people are talking, you know, I think they're all looking at the polls. Um, and I think she was the only one who actually read that right, because I don't think the Republicans I know. care oh, about it's... this stuff anymore. Like, yeah, except also for like, like the electoral like, death forever if they try and do that. And like Nikki yeah. Haley is the only one who is willing to say that. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, look what happened in Ohio. You know, look what happened in Wisconsin. It's like, like it's clearly electoral death for them forever if they do that. And it's, I think, you know. And I don't think that primary electorate cares about that. I don't think those Trump vote yeah, guys are like super so. like pro, like pro, pro life guys. I think that's like a, a, a sort of special interest constituency now. Okay. I don't think that like yeah. the, 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 the January 6th marchers were like, would, would, would show up at the March for Life. So I, I just don't understand yeah. it. No, I agree. And I think that it also sort of solidified how, like the difference is that Nikki Haley was speaking about the Republican Party and its future, right? And what will happen to it. 
And none of the people who are not none, but the vast majority of people who vote for Trump don't care about the Republican Party. They don't even really see themselves as Republicans, right? Like they don't care about like, oh, well, we're going to lose this House and this Senate, like these Senate seats. They're just like, who cares? Trump's going to win. He'll be king, right? Like it's not, it's not like that's where it feels almost like Nikki Haley is describing a world that very well may be real, but it's like not real to the people who Mm -hmm. she's trying to reach, which is why she has like a 4%, you know, she's like 4% in the polls or something like that. But um, to your point, Tammy, like, do you think that the reason that we don't see more women on that stage is like, because the most famous women in the GOP are like super pro Trump, like that Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene wouldn't run because like, all of their appeal in here is in the idea that they like call Donald Trump on this on their cell phone or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think the establishment Republican. I mean, again, like in quotes, but the establishment Republicans who are women are definitely there. Isn't I don't think I can't think of a single person who would sort of emerge, you know, on on the national stage in this respect. And then, yeah, the kind of on the Trumpist side. Um, most of them are the the sorts of crazies that you're mentioning. Also, they're quite young and inexperienced. Like yeah. they're not quite ready to come out, you know, in this way. But also, yeah, I mean, neither of the parties really have anyone like that. I wish Marjorie Taylor Greene would run, though. It would be, you know, it would add some energy to that debate. I just found myself like... <laughs> Oh my God. Be careful what you wish for. What is going on with this? Like for the first five minutes of the debate, they were talking about balancing the budget. And I was like, guys, you know, what, what well, is for the first thing? minute of the debate, they're talking about <laughs> rich men north of Richmond. Don't forget. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they're like, played yeah, a snippet of the song. They're like, what do you think about this? Obvious, like obviously genuine cry from the heart of the common man. Um, it, it was oh, fucking insane that they played that. Insane. What do you think about how DeSantis did, Vince? And how, like, you know, wh- how do you think he did? I think you and I had an exchange where on Twitter where it's just like, this guy has never looked another person in the eye. <laughs> I, I, and some people were saying that he did okay for himself. And I guess like you could say that just by not having a full like face plant and still being in second place or whatever, that, that that's kind of a win. Um, but everybody that's been telling us this is the problem. The National Review crowd, um, the Fox News crowd, they've all been telling us that this guy's really good and he's really smart. And just wait, like, just let him get a chance. And every single time he appears in public, he disproves that. He's like, he couldn't hate other people more, um, whether it's other politicians or regular people. He has no interest in talking to anybody. He... He talks, he was talking like there was somebody with an arm up his back. Like he, did, he, he does this thing where his like head is bobbing around. It's so he weird. Looks yeah. looks like the Muppet version of himself. And it's like all, like all, all, all rehearsed lines. Obviously, he's not even trying to pretend that they're not. He jumps in and he's like, and that's why we need to. Da, da, da. And it's like the way he, it's, it's so, it's just like so repulsive. And now we realize that all he had, like the sort of, CRT schools and library thing like is like that is his that that's it that is his masterstroke it's like he's a racist and a troll um and like and and that's what these people uh regard to be like political talent and sort of like technical genius which is like when you see it next to somebody like Vivek you just see like 
wow. They should have all gone behind the fake, honestly. (laughs) You know, (laughs) yeah, because it's like, all right, for DeSantis, the case where DeSantis was always that the way that he handled COVID, right? Nobody cares about that anymore. But there was a period of time where he was getting very popular because he didn't shut down the schools and he didn't shut down Florida, right? And that he got a lot of credit for that amongst the right. That's very New York. It's bad timing. But like, it's just weird where it's just like, did you guys not realize that he was going to fail in this way when he had to stand in front of a camera and be be like likable or at least be scary, right? Like, it's just weird. And like for him, if you think about him as sort of a cipher before all this stuff gets planted in, before he hires Chris Rufo, before he sort of goes hard, like basically waging a war on the new college of of Florida, which is just like, I can't (laughs) believe you did that. Like, who cares, right? I don't know. It would have been interesting to see if he made those choices. He decided to go that way. He decided to sort of take the trolley new right and hire all of them, people like Nate Hoffman and whatever. And he decided to hire Chris Rufo, right? He decided to fight the culture war alone. Um, And I just think that that was a terrible decision, Um, you know, and I think that uh, that added on to his, you know, sort of charm deficits. Like, he just doesn't have a chance. And, like, I think that, like, basically everybody who gives money to the Republicans and people like that are starting to realize this. And it is interesting he's still in second place, but I just think that that's almost like a legacy effect from how much hype he got before. for a period of time. Well, did you guys think there would be more fixation on the culture war issues during the debate than there was? Yes, definitely. I yeah. was actually quite surprised that yeah, the word woke actually, that. like, never appeared in the entire thing. What do you think about that, Vincent? Yeah, I mean, I think this might be a function of like them all like vehemently agreeing on these issues. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, Vivek a couple of times, like just as an applause line, you know, when like politicians go into that potpourri <laughs> of like, you know, like all the things I believe and I'll tell you them one by one. Uh-huh. Vivek like did that. And one of them was like, and I'm, and there's only two genders and a man is a man. And we uh, shouldn't yeah. like, he just like said that and then like moved on and it was an applause line. I think maybe, maybe it was Nikki Haley who made us, a token mention of like, and we shouldn't have boys uh, uh, in, uh, in girls, girls' locker, locker rooms room. and like and, yeah. and like uh, playing sports against girls. And everybody's like, yes, of course. And they moved on. But there was, you know, yeah. I think when it has when something has achieved like full saturation like that, it almost like loses steam as an issue. Like, because what mm. are you gonna like? Yeah. He's gonna ask like, raise your hand if you hate trans people, and they're all like, of course I do. <laughs> um, it's just you know, it's hard to <laughs> it, it's yeah. hard to controversialize something that they all like agree on. That's and, true. Uh, I guess I thought though that they would like more people would deliver those lines, you know, right. just to get the hits. Um, I was surprised too, Timmy. Do you have a theory on why it wasn't though? I don't. I mean, no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think like it, it did definitely make me think about DeSantis's approach and whether he had just gotten this wrong that, you know, like, yes, of course they all agree and they are all have this, you know, animosity towards these vulnerable populations, but also it's not ultimately that interesting or something, you know? Yeah. And yeah. DeSantis is famously, you know, very well known as pivoting right now away from right. that. Right. Yeah. And, um, my question is, what are you going to pivot to, bro? Right. You know, like, what else do you guys have on that side other than this culture war? And like, you've primed the voters to only care about mm-hmm. this thing. So you can't actually pivot out of it. That's why I actually find Tucker and J.D. Vance to be the two most interesting people within that party, because they do talk about other things, right? Like they could cre- like J.D. Vance did a whole thing about East Palestine. Right. Um, right. Like t- 
Tucker did a whole rant about how can you only give $700 to the people of Maui and give $150 billion to Ukraine? Like these are, these are interesting arguments that are not just culture war nonsense, although in their own way, they are culture war nonsense. They're using, they're, they're smart enough to use real issues to the ends of culture war and nonsense, right? right? This is right. like the, this is, I don't know if you have studied the trajectory of the writer Sorab Amari. Oh yeah, is, for sure. Like, yeah. you know, came to many people's attention as a, a kind of uh, integralist authoritarian Catholic, um, along with people uh, like uh, this guy, Adrian Vermeule, this like Harvard lawyer who oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. thinks he's going to institute Christendom in America. I don't know. What he um, but Sorab like has like started, he, he's a man of many changes. He was a Marxist, he was a, a sort of business conservative. He's been all these things. And recently, him through this um, uh, journal that he runs called Compact. It's a really interesting figure. Um, oh, he, okay, okay. And, yeah. and now has started to become this sort of like almost populist socialist um, thing. But it's still like a, still a total um, sort of social reactionary, I think. But like heavy on the sort of almost like sort of talking about class warfare and all these other things. Um, and sometimes when you close your eyes and don't know who's talking, you can right. you can read J.D. Vance like that. You can read Tucker like that. I agree. Yeah. Until Tucker like asked uh, Trump, he's like, so um, what's the deal with Jeffrey Epstein? Do you believe that he actually uh, killed himself? Do you <laughs> do you believe that? That's what he asked him in the like the interview that he did concurrent with the uh, the primary. He's like, so what do you think about uh, Epstein Island? And it's like, oh yeah, this guy's a maniac. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it also shows like. <laughs> how far away the actual GOP base, which I do think Tucker is more representative of than Fox news, which is like, as you mentioned, talking about tax rates and like who did a best job as governor of, at balancing budgets. Or whatever. It's like, this is. Vermeule is interesting to me because Vermeule has this idea that, and the reason why they are pivoting to this type of kind of raceless populism, but also social reactionary is because they believe in this idea that this is the key to unlocking the multiracial right wing uh, working class, right working class right wing. And that's, I think, Sorab is very interested. Vermeule is absolutely interested, and he thinks that's the future of the party. And like, I intellectually can understand where they're coming from, why this would work, right? Um, and yet at the same time, like my suspicion of it is just that it feels also like it's the type of thing that is cooked up by people like me to convince people like me that it works. It's like a <laughs> totally intellectual inter- uh, enterprise, right? And like, I don't know, like I don't, I do think J.D. Vance is going to try that. You know, I do think J.D. Vance probably wants to be president. I think he probably has some chance oh of God. being president. <laughs> Damn, he hates I can't. I don't because I do not see that. Yeah. And I think like that. <laughs> Vivek also went to Yale Law School. That's sort um, of pot. Yeah. The, I mean, we could talk about the Amy Chua thing, which I don't want yeah. to. But I feel like the, the whole like, you know, the occasional appeal to that sort of like economic populism is like it's just so fake and transparent. Because right. all these guys are against every single institution that would create any sort sort of like robustness in that, right? Like they're all anti-union. They're all against the sorts of distribution that you would need, blah, blah, blah. Like we all know this. Um, So I just find that whole Vermeule like argument so ridiculous. I just don't, you know, there's, there isn't any like meat on it, but yeah, this this is the second show we've talked about Vermeule on. 
Vivek, oh, really? I didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> He's Vivek did. I think it's because I'm, I'm interested in the idea of a multiracial working class right wing like, movement. Yeah, but it's just not like an act. Like I mean, I wouldn't want to be a socially reactionary, but I do no, understand yeah. the idea of it. Um, sure. But I mean, we're I interested in the yeah the economic ideas, but I just think I don't see how that could come about when like you actually don't believe in any of the building blocks to have a working class democracy of any kind, even if it's only for white people, like you don't believe in it, you know? Well, it's just all resentment, right? Right, exactly. Well, it's it's also like a a, a function, and this is what I think is partially what has happened to the GOP, right? And it's it's funny because it's like a classic right-wing projection. What they say the the left has done is what they have actually done. They say through CRT, we have uh, replaced um, a sort of uh, Marxist understanding of a class warfare with like oppressed and not oppressed, right? That you have uh, switched out the terms in that dialect. Mm-hmm. And, totally. and, and this is what CRT is like a class war, except between whatever um, the subaltern and the whoever. Um, but that's actually what they have done. Right. Mm-hmm. So for them, you can have a sort of notion of working class ruling class um, as long as those terms are understood socially and culturally and not economically, right? Like, um, if right. I wanna, if I wanna right. s- stand up and and say the n word at my in my lecture hall, then I am the oppressed, right? Or, I, right. or if I want to, you know, whatever. Like, if if um, if I want to make a if I want to own a cake shop that um, gay people can't get their wedding cakes at, then I am oppressed, right? right. If, if that's what a working class means. Um, uh, Really interestingly, Rod Dreher, the um, uh, also sort of social conservative um, maniac pervert, um, <laughs> sorry, um, he 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 recently tweeted something that was like, um, "I want to get one of those Trump T-shirts, um, not because I like Trump. I don't like Trump, but I want to s- stick a finger into the eyes of the ruling class." Right, and it's like. Yeah. Huh. What do you think? Billion, yeah. <laughs> billionaire former president isn't the ruling class. He's like, no, he's not. And it's about the things that Jay talked about, like taste and like yeah. kitsch and the aesthetics the pe- of the, the right. real ruling class looks down on people like Donald Trump. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, like Donald Trump is like, there's no, no, there's no such thing as a ruling class if, if he's not in it. But as right. long as it's like who you nerds up there laugh totally. at all the time, then it, there, we can be a working class. And by the way, like, we're not worried about our social security. We're not worried about yeah. Medicare for all. We're we're like the class warfare becomes about something else. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's true. True. Like, like JD Vance is another example of this, right? He went to Yale law school and like, he's functionally part of the elite, but because, I mean, you know, he did have that childhood or whatever, but mm-hmm. he's very good at coding things that type of way. Tucker is too, you know, I mean, I don't know. Tucker obviously Grew up a little bit more elite than J.D. Vance. But <laughs> yeah, I would say. Not, but, not, you know, he went to St. George's and Newport. He went to boarding school or whatever. But, you know, like Tucker's family history is weird. I mean, he's, he's from San Francisco. You know, like uh, his dad was like a journalist. So it's not like he's like from, you know, he's not from like generational, generational wealth or anything like that. But they're very clever about that. I will point out, Vincent, that, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, I was talking about buying a trump beer koozie so that i can control all the elites except you didn't say the ruling class you you meant no you meant bougie nimbies which is like <laughs> that okay is true. That is that's, true. that's who that's and that's accurate right 
Oh my god, that's it's equivalent, so especially bad. in Berkeley. <laughs> I reviewed this book about Shaker Heights, um, which, by the way, every journalist in America is from. Did you know, like? It's crazy how many people are from Shaker Heights. Like, uh, Shaker Heights, thirty thousand people. Like mm-hmm. Wesley Lowry is from Chick- Shaker Heights. Jameel Smith is from Shaker Heights. Susan Orlean is from Shaker Heights. So random. Um, Catherine Why? Schultz is from Shaker Heights. Andy Barowitz is from Shaker Heights. Like Claire Malone and Noreen are both from Shaker Heights. It's crazy. Is there like more than an that. incredibly elite famous high school there that they all went to or something? So is so is Machine Gun Kelly. Um. <laughs> so random. <laughs> Why are we talking about this? <laughs> because I was, you know, I read it and it's all about like how they had this moment of integration in the 1950s and, you know, this the book I reviewed. I, you reviewed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. I I did a kind review, but like the book was like, it was very self-consciously this white woman who had grown up in Shaker Heights trying to reckon with why good-intentioned, well-intentioned white people could not solve the problems of racism, right, and unequal effects or whatever. And I don't know, it like I just read it and I just kept thinking about all these people in Berkeley, you know, and I was just like, man, <laughs> now there's really a type of NIMBY white liberal that I feel like um, I have such a strong reaction to because I've lived my entire life around them. And you're right. <laughs> yeah. That's who I would be trolling with the Trump koozie. <laughs> not, the, <laughs> not the ruling class. Not it the was, ruling class. Exactly yeah. right. I don't know why. That was a very long diversion. All right, Vincent, do you have any last thoughts? <laughs> Who won the debate? Let's oh go lightning round. Vivek, definitely. Oh, Lord. Okay. Tammy, who won the debate? As a second placer, I'm very interested in Nikki. As a second place, Who do you think won, though? I think, like, like, in terms of oration, I would agree with you guys on Vivek. Okay. I agree, too. I think Vivek but, yeah. won, but... Um... <laughs> You know, what does winning mean? I know. That's what I, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, you can lose to Trump too. And um, (laughs) it was incredible to me how sad it was if you took, when you take Trump out of that, you know, like it was, it really felt like watching the third place game in the World Cup where you're just like, I'm just going to watch this because I have nothing else to do. Oh, God, I'm so scared. And it's only 20. It's only August. My God, I just like, I feel sick. Get ready, Tammy. I feel sick. I'm not ready. Tammy's on. Tammy has a you're on the you're doing politics this year. I mean, I think we all are. But yeah, I'm supposed to be doing more. (laughs) Vincent, you too. I mean, I did get the call to write about the the Trump hedge. Yeah, there you go. My book's about politics. It comes out in the middle of like at the beginning of the election season. So oh my like, gosh. Maybe I'll just turn into a politics guy for a little bit. Well, you have, I can't a, wait. you have all the background. Yeah, for you have it the background. In a way that the rest of us, do. I'm just giving out takes about who makes me feel the most like myself. You know? <laughs> 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 all right. Thanks for coming on, Vincent. Thanks, Vincent. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Can't I can't wait for I your think... novel. Oh my God. Thank oh, you yeah, so much. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, well, hopefully, maybe I'll come back before then. But my, my novel, uh, it's called Great Expectations. If you think you've heard that name, no, you have not. Um, it comes out, <laughs> it comes out next March, March twelfth. So you could people can pre-order it now if they want to. That's um, that's sooner than you think. I know feels, that's going like, to come up real fast. It's yeah. being copy edited right now. So oh my um, god. 
I am I'm super excited. I'm more excited about the fact that am I beating Hua now? Am I the am I the am I the oh, Steve yeah. Martin of this? I, I bet you are. I, I think bet you, you have are. beat Hua. Let's just, yeah. let's just check in. Let's just tally that up, and, and we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. You know, Watt, who is the former number one person on this podcast, won a Pulitzer for his book. He did. Yeah. He's 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 beating me. Let's be. Let's be. No. 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 Let's be clear. Right. This is good for your book. Whoever's okay. number one guest yeah. on our podcast is going to win a Pulitzer. The cover, by the way, for people, uh, I've the cover is really really great. And, Thank you. Um, Thank you. I don't know, Vincent. I've always I've said this to you before, but I'll just say it in public. Uh, you know, you're one of the writers in terms of craft that I admire the most. And so, anybody who is, uh, you know, I don't know. We're gonna definitely have you on. We'll yeah, do a whole pullout for the before, novel, yeah. but um, hopefully, we'll have you on again before that. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Uh, if you'd like to support us it's five dollars a month at goodbye.substacks.com or patreon.com slash ttsgpod if you'd like to get in touch with us it's time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com um and uh do we have any announcements uh thank you to our producer as always may shots and um we will see you next week <laughs>